Um, can I really tell you my most surreal celebrity moment? Walking down the street. This was during the History Boys year. So this was a while back, 2003. Mm-hmm. And... Um, if you remember, the History Boys was a play that Richard Griffiths was in, and also uh, Francis de la Tour won a Tony for. Now, if you know her, she, of course, is probably most famous for being Madame Giant. What's her name in Harry Potter? Oh, my God. Oh, Christine, um, you must know this. Maxime. Madame yeah. Maxime. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So I, um, so I'm walking down the street and I'm like, oh, it's Madame Maxime from, from Harry Potter, of course, because she's in the History Boys. And then she stops, she sees somebody and she goes, oh my goodness, how are you? And gives this man a hug. And I realize it's Professor Snape. It's freaking Alan. Oh my God, holy shit. Uh, Alan Rickman. And so I'm like having this crazy experience in the middle of Times Square where I'm seeing these two fictional characters meet each other as real people. I'm like, where am I? This is insane. I would die to see that. That's so awesome. It's a cautionary tale of fear and lust and pride based on actual events where people died. No one died. But how far would you go to be popular and hot? Would you resist temptation? No, you would not. Just admit it sometimes Mean is what you are Mean is easier than nice Welcome everyone to Bottomless Broadway where we talk musicals over mimosas. Today in our series of Broadway's Dark, so we talk about whatever the fuck we want to. We're bringing you three classics, Heather's Mean Girls and Legally Blonde. I'm here with my co-host, Christine, and we have a special guest with us as well, Jeff from a musical theater podcast. Hey, ladies. Hello. I have my chocolate milk again because (laughs) when you came on my show, I wanted to make sure to have a cocktail of choice, and it was uh, my 2% reduced fat chocolate milk in a box. Solid drink. And, And that is what I have once again. Love it. Well, so we're each gonna do five words. Um, Jeff, do you want to do the honors and start us off? Yes. Now, my five-word reviews always are a little quirkier, (laughs) but um, but I'm gonna do I'm gonna do five-word review for Legally Blonde. Uh, My Mm. five-word review for Legally Blonde is consistent tone and perfectly paced. I like it. Much preparation. Mine's a total cop out. What do you got, Christine? All right. So mine for Mean Girls, the musical is straightforward screen-to-stage adaptation. Hmm. These are really good. (laughs) What do you have? (laughs) What I wrote down for Heather's is Mean Girls, but people die. That is correct. (laughs) I can't argue with that. I was thinking this through, and I can literally describe the two shows with one summary. So, So Heather's is about three hot girls who rule the school, Heather, Heather, and Heather who recruit, like, a nobody, Veronica, to join their clique. And Veronica has another friend, JD, who uses her to destroy the hot girls. And then Mean Girls is about three hot girls, Regina, Gretchen, and Karen, who recruit a nobody, Katie. And then Katie has another friend, Janice, who uses her to destroy the three hot girls. I mean, it is fascinating when you look at both of those pieces because they're a little incestuous from a film standpoint. And then 
they are also in, that way in the musical form. Yeah, you've got mm-hmm. you've got people from the same family creating both of these uh, both of these pieces. Yeah, which is kind of why we decided to do them in one episode. Because as far as the musicals go, um, Legally Blonde is by Lawrence O'Keefe and Nell Benjamin, and then Nell Benjamin wrote Mean Girls with um, Jeff Richmond doing the music and Tina Fey doing the book. And then um, Lawrence O'Keefe wrote Heathers with Kevin Murphy doing music lyrics and book together. Yeah. And Lawrence O'Keefe and Nell Benjamin have, of course, also married. Yes. So they... Since like 2001, I believe, right? They actually visited my school the year before Mean Girls came out. uh, No way. Yeah, so they they were kind of like introducing and promoting Mean Girls, but also because we were putting on Heather's as our fall musical. So this was right before You're Welcome, the song that replaces Blue came out. So Mm -hmm. we were still doing Blue, but um, Lawrence O'Keefe actually, he was like, yeah, we're not doing that song anymore because it's a little like sexist or something. So I wrote this new song and it's really good. And then he just go, he just pulls up a piano and performs the entirety of You're Welcome. And then he's like, yeah, but you guys don't get, um, you know, the sheet music for that yet because it's not released. So please don't tell anyone. Just keep performing <laughs> Blue. Bye. And we were like, thank you. <laughs> That's so cool. I've heard from so many people that Larry O'Keefe is a is a gem. Yeah. He told this whole story about how like why Heathers couldn't make it to Broadway, I guess. And he was like, Broadway is usually like rich Upper East Side slash upstate families, like as audiences. Um, So usually when we have a new show on Broadway for like opening night and everything, we try to like invite just like a ton of rich New York families. But Heather's is literally about their prep school kids killing each other. So they weren't a big fan of it when we sent them letters that were like, come watch our show about how badly you have raised your children. (laughs) That (laughs) is fair. Also, I just should say before we get too much into it we will be talking through spoilers for everything movies musicals most of the musicals follow the movies and the movies have been out for a while now also quick legally blonde summary in case um anyone doesn't know it it's actually about a girl Elle woods to win over her ex-boyfriend she goes to harvard to prove that she's smart and she finds out that her ex is an ass she makes new friends saves a dog gets molested by her professor regains confidence through girl power and proves to everyone that you can dress well and like a playboy bunny for halloween but be a lot nicer than regina (laughs) not wrong so jeff i did listen to your episode on heathers that you did on your podcast thank you i i thought it was pretty dang interesting yeah it was fun (laughs) but now that means i do also know that heathers is quote not your jam it's not my jam. I said that so many times in that episode. Yeah. Um, it, was a, it was a really cool episode um, with Rachel Flynn. Right. Yeah, she was in the original cast. From the, from the beginning, she was in the show when it tried out in L.A. and then transferred to Off-Broadway, uh, where she covered, I think, several roles, but was the stoner chick. Yeah. So between these three, then... Well, we, we already kind of know your feelings on Heather's. What is your favorite, either in terms of movie or musical? Ooh, 
musical, I have to admit that I haven't seen Mean Girls in person, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. But from what I understand, I think I got to say Legally Blonde is my favorite of the three musicals. In terms of movies, I think Mean Girls is the better movie. I think I agree with you entirely. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Heather's the most um, musically. Interesting. I can't wait to hear why. And and part of that might be because I didn't know the movie beforehand. And I think the musical is a vast improvement on the movie. Oh, interesting. But I do agree that I think Mean Girls is the better. I gotta say, I don't think the musical lives up to it. It's difficult. It's difficult to do that. And it's probably why I think Legally Blonde is a better musical because... Tonally, it feels more consistent and more successful in becoming a, a theatrical transfer. Yeah. Uh, whereas Mean Girls, the brilliance of Mean Girls is the psychology of it, at least in terms of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have such nuanced actors like Rachel McAdams giving life to these really complex individuals in little teenager bodies. Yeah. And to go back to my five words about Mean Girls, where I said it was a pretty straightforward adaptation, it feels that way because I think it it hits all the main beats. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, she moves from Africa. She sits with the plastics. She gets sucked into them. She becomes mean herself. She, like, spirals. She goes to the math lead. She wins. And then the end. Um But I think the way that they chose to tell that story, their framing device, was to have Janice and Damien narrate it and sort of make commentary and talk to the audience about it. And I think what made Mean Girls the movie so much more interesting and the behavioral stuff like you were talking about is that Katie narrated the movie and she was a complete outsider to like teenagers, to high school, to everything. and. So she was kind of like seeing it like, who are these crazy people like with all these unspoken rules that people just magically know? And and you were kind of like seeing the craziness of high school cliques and hierarchies from her eyes. Yeah, that's such a great point. This whole fish out of water idea immediately gets us on Katie's side. But it seems like in the stage version, Katie is kind of an unsung hero in that she's working her butt off and and yet you don't really walk away thinking about her. If the show is based around not seeing the world from from her perspective as an outsider perspective, then of course you're going to see it from Janice's because she's the one who's the outsider. Yeah, that's true. Like Janice is sort of painted as this like nearly omnipotent narrator like she's like watch what happens they're gonna fuck up in the movie she's very much like a faulty person herself so it does kind of put you on janice's side because i think like revenge party and i'd rather be me are really popular songs because she says just like she says like just really basic great fun slash feminist things that don't necessarily reflect janice's character in the movie i think Hmm. Yeah, because I'd rather be me is literally her being like, oh, like, why are girls told to, like, basically fake smile at each other and then backstab each other when, like, boys are allowed to fight? Gender norms are bullshit. She basically, like, has a full song about that, which she never talks about in the movie. Um, And to speak to that song specifically, I'd rather be me. I was 
I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but it seems like like that was the main point where I think the musical took a huge turn on Janice's character. Cause this is the near the end of the movie when um they have the whole school, all the girls gathered and they have to like say nice things about each other and then do a trust fall. And in the movie, right. Janice still kind of has this like fuck you attitude, like, oh sorry for ruining your life, Regina, but you deserved it. Like and then she walks away a hero because everyone still hates Regina. But in the musical, she sings this really like empowering song about how women should just not care about what other people think, which is a great song, but I don't see it as in character for the like cool, aloof girl that Janice was in the movie. So here's my role. They definitely specifically chose to like highlight certain characters and not others. I think I think like Gretchen didn't really get any great songs. Her main song was "What's Wrong with Me," which I honestly couldn't care less about. Oh, I like that one. I think it's cute. Really? Like, I mean, it's not necessary, but <laughs> I think it's like a cute break. I don't like her. It's like a less suicidal version of Lifeboat, and. <laughs> um, <laughs> Karen, she doesn't have like a belting song or anything, but she sings the Halloween song Sexy, Mm -hmm. where she just talks about sexy Halloween costumes, but she's really funny and really woke during it. It's so smart. So like Karen sort of became like cooler and more fleshed out as well. And then also Katie, I don't, her main songs are what? Stupid with Love. So I just counted and out of the 21 tracks on the cast album, Katie sings a lead part in nine of them. So she sings like That's insane. half. Yeah, That's she's on stage bad. so much. And I saw a tweet or something from Erica Henningsen where during Icy Stars, which is the finale, she's just like, please, God, let me get through this. And we're almost Literally there. Icy Stars. I could pass out at yeah. any moment. <laughs> so like, so back to what you said about Unsung Hero, like, I think they wrote Katie pretty two-dimensional in the musical. The character is just not that interesting. Or not as interesting as what who she's surrounded by. Yeah, because she's stuck with, like, stupid with love, where she spends half the time talking about how she's good at math. And meanwhile, Regina's got um, someone gets hurt and world burn, which are probably, like, two of the strongest belting numbers in the entire show. Yeah, Taylor Lauderman only belts in this show. She, do- she like, doesn't get- If she's singing, she's belting her face off. She is so good, and she looks so good. Katie, time to watch her back. Katie, time to turn and cough. Because you took me down, but you didn't finish me off. My name is Regina George. And in case you're keeping score, Katie may have won the battle, but I will win the war for. I want to watch the world back. I think the show also just has a lot of structural problems. It has like three 11 o'clock numbers. Like, (laughs) between. It has a lot of numbers, period. Yeah. Like, there's that. And it's just like, I'd rather be me as like um, Barrett Wilbert Weed's big number as Janice, where she, you know, talks about fuck society. I'd rather be me. And then 
Oh, before that is World Burn, which Taylor Lauderman sings, which is just she's like belting her face off and throwing pages of the burn book everywhere for people to find. Um, and then we have Do This Thing, which is like probably the actual 11 o'clock number where Katie goes with the mathletes to the competition and she ends up winning it for them. I love World Burn, though. World Burn and The Bitch is Back by Elton John on repeat are like my angry songs. That is, that's a cleaning playlist is what that is. <laughs> I actually think this is the most listenable outside of the context of the show. Like these oh, songs that makes hold up the most if you're just listening to them as singles or like in a playlist or something. The first thing that stood out to me about the Mean Girls score is how p- pastiche it is. Mm-hmm. Every song almost exists on its own. I can only surmise that that is because we have these really deftly drawn characters. And so each of their musicality is incredibly different from the next. So I could see how, to your point, about how you can kind of listen to the show out of context. Um, Absolutely. Because if you know the character, you can enjoy the song no matter what. Janice's songs are amazing. They're just like so out of character for her but they're so good like revenge party so that might be my favorite it is the most efficient time lapse of broadway history (laughs) and i can't figure out if i like it or if i hate it because revenge party like as she's singing it it covers like all of the regina sabotages done throughout the movie so Revenge Party begins with um, Katie leaving the Halloween party mad, showing up um, at Janice's Janice and Damien's horror movie night. Um, so that's where it starts, and they like come up with their plan, and it ends when um, she doesn't go to Janice's art show, and Janice yells at her and drives away. Also, when she yells at her and drives away, she does a reprise of Someone Gets Hurt, which was originally Regina's song. But I love this reprise. Like, I think I like this reprise better than the original song. Because in the original song, that's when Regina's seducing Aaron back at the party. And she told Katie, oh, I'll talk to Aaron for you because I know you like him. And I I wasn't a fan of how they did that in the show because it just seemed very sudden. Um, But... Then Janice sings the same thing. And I thought that was like an amazing reprise of it. So I agree that like having Janice sing the reprise is awesome because it kind of like also has like a hidden flipped message that like Janice is also a mean girl, which she is. Hmm. Just in a a different way, but the pattern is there. Yeah, like she's maybe she's not like conventionally pretty and popular, but she still is an asshole. Although let it let it be known, Barrett is gorgeous and tall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, so like I feel like that's really cool. But I actually love the someone gets hurt number. Um, because she is in her Playboy Bunny Halloween costume, it's actually staged like a burlesque. Um, and there's just like guys picking her up, flipping her around, putting her on tables and carrying her everywhere. And it's such a beautiful number. I love it. Mm-hmm. I also got to give a shout out to Nell Benjamin for the lyric Apex Predator, because who'd have thunk that that would be the name of a song in a Broadway musical? It feels like the frozen fractal moment <laughs> of frozen where you're like, there's no way 
someone's going to write this lyric and it's going to work. But uh, but man, Apex Predator gets stuck in your head. Yeah, and it's so smart because it's like what Katie would know from living in Africa. She understands mm-hmm. food chain and all that. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite song. It's also like the first song that I liked from the show because I saw their um, what's the one where they perform at Rockefeller? Is to... it the Today Show or Good Morning America or something like that? Probably, Probably. the Today Show. Okay. Um, and even though like only Katie and Janice sing it, they had Regina Gretchen and Karen there just like slow motion walking <laughs> across the plaza. Yeah. <laughs> it was so great. And I absolutely love that song. It's one of those like belting ballads that also pick you up. And they're common but not common enough. Mm-hmm. And they're my favorite type of song. I honestly would not have minded if it were like the act one finale. <laughs> We're done with Act One. We can just end it here. Yeah, it's like it's like the dead girl walking. It's the so much better. It's so good. I love it. She's the queen of peace, and I'm in her pride. I have hitched a ride with the apex predator, and it's kind of fun when she bears her claws. When I'm safe because I'm with the apex predator. So you know how in Hamilton, Yorktown feels like the act one finale and then it keeps going revenge yes. party was kind of like that for me but then they kept going and fearless is actually the act one finale and i like fearless as a song but i feel like it's just dragging out the point by then i think it's because they couldn't put stop anywhere else because they wrote stop just for gray henson because they wanted him to have another song right and it's i really warmed up to it but it's clearly like the first song after intermission coming back from the bathroom kind of song. Yeah. You know what has like a really good act one or act two opening is Legally Blonde, I think. Oh. as one of the best act two openings. I'm telling you guys, <laughs> that show is so well paced. Um, I do want to say one more thing about Mean Girls. I wanted to talk about Jeff Richmond, oh, who is yeah. the composer and also husband of Tina Fey. Yes. So they met doing improv. He was the piano player. And, you know, it's like one of those name out, uh, call out a a style, a genre of music, and then they have to make up a song right there. So the score plays to his strengths because he is able to kind of tap into whatever genre he wants based on the characters. Hmm. And, um, And I think that when it was announced that he would be writing the musical with his wife, I was like, oh, I mean... Couldn't you have found maybe a more experienced theater composer? And that's me being a little bitch, and I apologize for that. Uh, <laughs> because then I saw, um, then I saw Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which has one of the best theme songs ever. And I was like, Jeff Richman, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> You know, a uh, fascinating transition. Damn it! Anyways, the Legally Blonde Act 2 opener. Okay, here's why I love it. You know, we talked about traditionally Act 2 opener. It's kind of a throwaway song. It's um, whipped into shape. It's 
like an exercise song. They're doing crazy jump rope stuff. I'm like amazed that they get through that song eight times a week. But then it pauses in the middle and you realize that Elle Woods, along with the rest of her legal cohort, is watching a video of their client who they're supposed to defend creating this video. Brooke Wyndham is the client. And so it's like you think it's this throwaway song that's just for fun. And it is a lot of fun, but it actually is like it draws you into the show in just a really smart way. Like it's like, oh, and here we are. Here's our client. Here's her deal. Here's what she's going. And then it transforms. And what was like a peppy exercise number sort of posits her as this like possible murderer when she's talking about like strangling people with her jump rope or like breaking their spines with the handles of the jump rope (laughs) and and all that and then it just ends with like them jumping rope while belting their faces off and it's it's so good it's so great because there is no reason to introduce brooke windham before this moment it's just like the the perfect scenario to introduce her and to really infuse the second act with this huge ball of energy right at the get right from the get go. The one thing I remember from Act Two is probably just Christian Brawl getting a makeover into clothes that actually fits him. Finally, <laughs> I actually didn't like that song. Oh, and also it's just like I don't really like talk singing, um, and this song kind of does it. Chip on my shoulder. I do like, but I only like the chorus part of it because he does talk sing the rest of it. So, like, I'm kind of hit or miss with Emmett's songs. Kind of just like, all right, we got to find a way to introduce the romance between them is what it feels like. But what's interesting is the movie introduces that romance without going this far, which is showing that Elle has the power to change his life just like he has the power to change hers. Mm-hmm. they're equally matched if they're able to be humble enough to let them in, you know, to let them yeah. into their lives. I think it's a good book scene and it's just the song itself that I'm not a fan of. And I get that. I think that I've had the pleasure of seeing really good actors as Emmett. And so mm-hmm. it's never stuck out to me as like a subpar song. Um, you're right in that uh, if I'm probably listening to the album, I'll it's not one that I'll <laughs> I'll skip to because oh I got it here take it like a man, but um, <laughs> but at the same time I think in the show it works it works just fine. So I absolutely fucking love Chip on My Shoulder. It's probably my <laughs> top three from the show. I don't care about Take It Like a Man as a song, but I think the scene is great like the changing room and the department store set is great and christian brawl looks actually so in love during the scene that it's just like really really sweet and his character is a lot more fleshed out in the musical and i think that's like a pretty conscious decision because In Chip on My Shoulder, he talks about how he grew up really poor and he basically just like gets Elle excited about law school by telling him like where he came from and how big of a chance Harvard Law was for him. And then Take It Like a Man is Elle's song back. (laughs) Well, excuse me, just because you've got some kind of chip on your shoulder. You know what? You're right. There's a chip on my shoulder. And it's big as a boulder With the chance I've been given I'm gonna be driven as hell 
I'm so close I can taste it So I'm not gonna waste it Yeah, there's a chip on my shoulder You might want to get one as well So I recently rewatched the movie and I forgot how little of it Emmett was actually in. They like barely interact. The only romance is just like implied when they have like a super long car ride together. And then the like sort of epilogue scene which i think is a total cop out just having text on the screen being like emmett and al have been dating the past two years he's planning on proposing pause like what i have to say something so i watched legally blonde august 29th of this year Um, (laughs) for the first time (laughs) no 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 okay so my girlfriend was like, oh, he's proposing tonight. And then she's like, there's no way, right? Because it's 2020. So that would be like 15 years after. That's a long time to date. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) And then she was like, no, but then like when the show came out, it would be three years before the epilogue. So how does that even work? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure they mean tonight in the movie. And she was like, Oh, really? <laughs> wow. I, I'm so confused by her thought process. Her girlfriend's also, like, really smart. So, like, <laughs> I don't know what happened. One of the things that did amuse me about the graduation scene in the musical is, um, you know, Elle is valedictorian. And she's like, welcome, class of 2000. And they cut her off and go to Orfe as Paulette. And it's just like, all right, as long as... It's the 2000-something Legally Blonde is still... It's forever young. It's still set today for a thousand years. Yes. I'm truly such a big fan of the first act songs, though. I think Oh My Gosh, You Guys is a really good opening number. It's a great opening number. There are so many quick changes in this show. Just like in general. Well, and I think that that's where my whole pacing thing comes from is one of the hard things that you have in creating a stage version of a film is that a film is built cinematically. There's you can in an instant go to a location that that is completely the opposite of where you were. And in theater, you just can't do that. So Mm -hmm. how do you create a cinematic experience in the theater without using the tricks that are possible in film and they figured it out and i and it may be jerry mitchell but uh because i love his staging and i love his choreography in the mm-hmm. show it's very him it's very aerobic you know a lot of footwork um but but it, it, they did it regardless yeah also just speaking of filming so i went to usc in la which is where some of the scenes in legally blonde were filmed and it's i didn't know that It's one of those things where it's like really kind of eerie and also funny when you watch it because when they have that scene of like her pulling up with her like two moving trucks and her car to the dorm, um, that's actually like our auditorium. It's not an actual dorm. And I was like, huh, this is different. (laughs) I absolutely love the Delta News. The the Greek chorus of the the Greek life sisters. Yes, they're like um, they're like the the ladies. The what you call it? The, the muses. muses from from Hercules. Hercules. I love them so much. And in the beginning, when they're signing her like engagement card or something and popping out of windows, every time I watch the pro shot, I rewatch that part like 
five oh, times yeah. because I think it's hilarious. And they're like so on beat when they open the windows and everything. And it's so good. I love in the opening number also how it's like very, it feels very hectic. Like they're all freaking out. They're like, oh my God, oh my God, Elle's getting engaged. Oh my God. And the first time you see Elle, it's like the eye of a Serenity. storm. It's yeah. It's just like, she's got it together. She's not, mm-hmm. she's the one probably getting engaged and she's not freaking out at all. She's just like super chill, very composed. And, um, and then, you know, you have that like great scene in the store where like, Courtney, take your break. Um, oh, that, but... Iconic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so good. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You guys. Looks like L's gonna win the prize. If there ever was a perfect couple, this one qualifies. Oh, my God. You guys. Oh, my God. This is happening. Our old home, coming queen and king. Finally, she'll be trying on a huge engagement ring for size. Oh, my God. You guys. Oh, my God. I didn't really care about what you want ever um until this youtube girl sang it and like i definitely should have guessed it because her channel name is called freddie my love but i didn't realize that she was a theater person until like one time she tried on an outfit and she was like i feel very l woods and then just burst into what you want and i was like what is going on oh my gosh obsessed (laughs) it's such a great scene song where you're jumping locations and yet it's both a good song and you're covering a lot of ground story-wise. So this is also not one of my favorites. Um, I think to go back to what you said about how well-paced this whole show is, mm-hmm. part of the reason why listening to the songs themselves don't work as well for me as something like Mean Girls is because the songs keep going on and on past where you think they'd end and it it works in the show because they're introducing you to like different scenes and um like taking you through time for sure what you want does that and then positive does that Mm -hmm. and then chip on my shoulder does that legally blonde remix just goes on forever (laughs) (laughs) it's hard for me to listen to the song separately sometimes because it's just like oh my god i've been listening to the same song with the same lyrics through like four different iterations no i totally get what you're saying i mean i actually think that all three of the shows that we're talking about today have like pretty solid cast recordings like for all of them i feel like i could listen through them like start to finish and not hate myself and I would say the same. And even though I, I kid and say that Heather's is not my jam, it's just, it's people being, it's only because like people are mean to each other and kill each other. Like uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the songs are a jam, but that the, being the said, story is not a jam. Yeah. Well, like the, and we will talk about Heather's of course, but, uh, but it's more just the tone that isn't, naturally my jam that being said it's a great score it's a great cast album everyone is crazy talented and so i agree all three of these shows have have some serious bops i love that they changed it so that vivian kind of has a redemption arc too everybody has great arcs in this show Yeah, and like in the movie again she gets her like you know text on page like Vivian and Elle become best friends and it's like really how did they get there but in the musical it's like she's like 
I'll, like, if I'm wrong, I'll say I'm wrong, and I was wrong, and you're amazing, so go out there and kick their asses. Yeah. And it's it's just such a great moment. Shout out to Kate Shindell, who's yes. our president of Actors' Equity. Yes, the, doing a lot in coronavirus. <laughs> no, she really is. Like, I do not. Yeah. She inherited our union at a really interesting time. <laughs> you know, going back to you mentioned the like the final moments in the motion picture of Legally Blonde with uh, with the text on the screen. And they do a similar thing in the musical. Right. Paulette steps forward and gives a, a where are they now type thing. I, I feel like. A, a less intelligent musical theater writer would give themselves the task of writing Elle a song for that moment. Uh, everything that she's learned throughout this this musical. And and we have already seen it. She doesn't need <laughs> to she doesn't need to say it all over again and she doesn't need a belt at the top of her lungs. We have been there right by her side. And then you look at maybe Mean Girls with Icy Stars. They had to musicalize that moment. I, I did like Icy Stars because I thought it was a cool tie-in. It is. Um, it's a, and I'm not, I'm not pooping on it yeah. at all because yeah, it, but it is, it's smart. I, I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, I think part of it in Legally Blonde is just because Elle is on stage singing for so much of this show. And they're like... Maybe we should have someone else sing occasionally. <laughs> Larry O'Keefe was like, oh, yeah. At some point, we realized that Al Woods is on stage for, you know, more and singing more than Mama Rose. And we were like, oh, well, wow. sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> here you go. So back when we reviewed Pretty Woman, um, Orfe plays like Julia Roberts' uh, hooker friend, basically, who in the movie has literally like 30 seconds of screen time, but Orfe has multiple songs. And we were basically like, when we were re- reviewing that show, we were like, Orfe just gets like a whole arc and all those numbers just so Samantha Barks can rest for a couple minutes. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's her entire role in this show as well. Like, Ireland is just like, let's have Laura Bell Bundy chill for a while <laughs> that being said though don't i love ireland i think it's Me a, too. Be, because it's so heartfelt you know this character which jennifer coolidge plays brilliantly in the film uh is is hilarious but to expand her character by giving her heart is inspired and uh and so bravo yeah and i love how she describes the irish jig remind me remind me with a red-headed sailor named brendan and we dance without moving our arms yes exactly definitely (laughs) the irish jig i think it's so funny and then the ups guy is actually kyle yeah (laughs) well first of all it's her real life husband um who plays the That's Richard right. Gere guy. Yeah. Andy they they like got Andy Carl just to be in like half a song <laughs> and yeah. show up and look hot, which, you know, yeah. no problem. So Andy Carl, who is way hotter than the movie UPS guy, in my opinion, <laughs> and also in Pretty Woman. Um, but he's actually also the deadbeat trailer husband. Oh, I didn't realize that. I was wondering what he did backstage the whole time. <laughs> It's played by the same guy. He just like is wearing a bandana. And I don't know how he gets his beer belly to stick out that much. 
<laughs> because he is like super fit as the UPS guy. And then when he's playing the husband, he just like lets it out. When you have that much control, that shows how much uh, muscle control you actually have, right? <laughs> I pretend like I'm in Ireland where the Irish bagpipes drone. Without moving How do you guys feel about Blood in the Water? Because I've recently read a Facebook post about this girl that was like, I hate this song. It's so evil. And I was like, isn't that the point? Yeah. Victor Garber in the film is not right away the villain that we that he is in the musical. It's because um, they have the female professor in the movie kick Elle out of class. And she's also the redemption character in the salon at the end instead of Vivian. Yes. So Holland Taylor. I forgot Holland Taylor's in that film. <laughs> yeah. So they cut her out completely. And so Callahan kicks Elle out of the school, out of the classroom in, um, in the show and is also a total dick. <laughs> but I think his song is so endearing. Like the concept endearing? of Yeah, like he has such like a charming evilness to him. Yeah, and like in a, in a Lucifer type way. Oh, I exactly. I love it. And then when he's like giving sample cases and asking like the class on whether or not they would pick it up and he's like no you dumbasses of course you would pick this up why would you not screw over an old lady you pathetic empathetic person you could get drugs and get laid yeah i think it's such a funny song with like so many creative rhymes it's like it's like such a good villain song it's like poor unfortunate souls mm. what the what legally blonde i think is really good at doing thematically is presenting stereotypes and then subverting them. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to because that is that is the arc of L. We think of her as this blonde bimbo sorority girl who's not serious, quote unquote, right? <laughs> and um, and then at some point you realize is she just doing this because that's all that's been expected of her? Like, are we the problem? Because yeah. because we see her as a stereotype, she hasn't been able to break out of the stereotype. And to introduce Callahan in the same way, like, this is who we know lawyers to be. They're all jerks. They're only out to win cases and screw over people. That then provides an opportunity to be like, oh, uh, like with chip on, chip on my shoulder, to hear a, a, a subvertive, uh, subversive look at at that stereotype. No, there are people who go to law school with no money to get, (laughs) to get to an Ivy league school who work two jobs on top of all of their schoolwork to make it happen because they want to do something great in the world. You know, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a, it's a through line that you see a lot throughout the whole show and, and a lot of the different characters. Same with Paulette. I would, I would even venture to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you think of Laura Bell Bundy? So I like her, but I think Christine thinks her voice is weird. I 
I liked her more in the pro shot than I do on the album. I don't know if it like was just when they recorded it. I think she sounds better in the live show, um, which I feel like is actually a little bit unusual because normally when you're doing the cast album, you're more rested. But mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't go out and listen to her sing other things. I do think she played the role well, though. And yeah. her, like, um, Legally Blonde, the ballad, she is so good at just, like, breaking your heart with that. I think she brings, like, a level of maturity to Elle's character, which, like, I don't know, like, if that was even planned by the production team. Laura Bell Bundy also kind of makes her like, kind of plays like a more jaded version of Reith Witherspoon's take, I think. Not like super jaded. She's a lot more mature. Yeah. yeah, she's like, I know how the world sees me. Like when she talks about her proposal, she's like, I don't want to dress like I'm asking for a proposal because I know that guys need their pride Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a really interesting take on Elle and like not something that all of the actors brought. I do know that for a long time, it was really a toss up between Laura Bell Bundy and Carrie Butler. Mm-hmm. And I will admit, I I really love Carrie Butler's voice. Um, Beetlejuice made me a fan of her. <laughs> and, oh, interesting. But I, I feel like she would bring more of that like Reese Witherspoon kind of take where it is a little bit more a little more valley girl i guess a little more bubbly so much better is one of those songs where um i will listen to every single version of it and like all the compilations that are like who sang it better (laughs) (laughs) i watched so many of those and i still really like laura bell bundy in it um, but so much better is such a fucking good song. It's so weird because Chip on My Shoulder is like really spunky and upbeat. And then it dips a little when she, what what is it? She finds out Vivian's engaged. Yeah. Right? That she got the and ring. Then, yeah. Yeah. And then it, it immediately jumps back up with so much better, which is so funny because she just like goes up to Warner and she's like, hey, this internship's going to be a lot better than having sex with you and then all the guys <laughs> in the ensemble are like what you guys used to date and like i feel like the small things that the ensemble members are saying are awesome and then afterwards when her like great chorus pops back up and she's just belting her face off it's such a good act one finale i'm obsessed with the song and it is like literally such a hard song to sing i think because there's just like so many different parts to it what i love about laurel bill bundy her energy is undeniable. Mm-hmm. I feel like she didn't have to do everything with Elle Woods that she is doing. <laughs> you watch her perform so much better and she's jumping up and down and running back and forth. And uh, and it's really inspiring to see somebody so physically committed to the joy of of a character. And I feel like she's giving that marathon type performance throughout the entire show. I know that she was criticized for being a little inconsistent vocally, but I think that is those are them's the breaks sometimes when you're choosing to, to do that much physically while you sing. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, should have had an alternate. (laughs) It's just, I don't think she did. (laughs) Henry Higgins had an alternate. What the fuck, dude? (laughs) Excuse me? You need a break on Wednesday? What is it? Date night? (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's no, hilarious. So I remember there was criticism on how um, in the last line of So Much Better, when she says, I feel so much better than before, she doesn't mm-hmm. hold the full four measures. She holds it for three, then she takes a breath, and then she does the fourth one. Yeah, that was which, her. That was always her thing. And I remember telling Christine, I was like, four measures isn't that long. Like, I can do that. What the fuck? And then, like, the next day, I was, like, singing to myself while I was literally just, like, walking, <laughs> not jogging, definitely not running. <laughs> And I was like, I can't do four measures. I can't even do one. Oh my god! As long as I'm moving, I'm dying. And so much better is so long. It's a long song. She does Once like again, five pirouettes in there. And exactly, like Laura Bill Bendy's jumping up and down, and and so like I know that other people have probably quote unquote saying it technically better but <laughs> I uh, but I appreciate Laurel Bill Bundy for that reason have you seen the fan cam where at the end of so much better she flings her stiletto into the audience on accident <gasps> doesn't flinch for a second like continues doesn't stop for a single second and then as she's singing the next line she just like dramatically rips off her other shoe and then when the lights go off um, for intermission she does this like really high heel to butt jump that she doesn't normally do when she's in her heels and it's so amazing like she looks so liberated <laughs> i'm gonna do a jump from fame <laughs> i don't have the time to crack i'm too busy loving my name up on that list kind of a cool ironic twist who else can i tell Ooh, where's my cell mama for mama for hey mom look at my name in black and white your daughter's doing something Okay, so talk to me as proud Asian American women. Uh, do you appreciate the representation both in Mean Girls and Heather's? In um, Mean Girls, Gretchen now feels like the minority role. In Heather's, um, Heather Duke, I feel like just between the off Broadway and um, West End version, it also feels like, oh, well, now that's just the diversity token. And in the movie, Heather Duke is the only one who's not blonde. So I, I wonder if that was why they did that. And they're like, oh, well, it's okay to not have a white blonde. Gretchen in the movie is the only plastic that's not blonde. And then at the end of the movie, she ends up with like the cool Asian click. Yeah. And she's speaking. I don't know if it's a real language. <laughs> um, not sure. So I feel like it was like a deliberate like diversity cast. I think we should move to Heather's. What was your like first experience with Heather's, either the movie or the musical? Saw the movie first. And then I first came to know Heather's the musical because I was friends with Jessica Keenan Wynn in oh. L.A. And so we were all really excited that she had got the lead. And so I got the I listened to the soundtrack and everything kind of followed the um, the progress of the show in New York. My first experience with the film was I I just remember feeling really dark <laughs> about <laughs> about it all and I I just I tend to not love art that looks at things from an nihilistic standpoint. I I'm I guess more of a Rodgers and Hammerstein type of guy. I need the hope at the end. <laughs> Heather's the film is, you know, strict satire about a high school experience that was not relevant to my own and ultimately kind of has the 
the message of let it all burn to the ground. And so I just didn't necessarily get behind it. I didn't feel a personal connection to it. And I mean, I guess it does have some hope. Maybe I should take that back. The musical, I think, I think trying, and I say this in my podcast episode, to try and create a musical out of a satire is really complex because as musical, when we write musicals anyway, they tend to go into parody land. And so if you're trying to create a satirical musical, that pitfall of falling into parody is just so tempting. And so the moments that I'm, that I find myself falling out of love with Heather's the musical are the ones that I feel do that. But once again, Larry O'Keefe, amazing composer, Kevin Murphy does, does great work as well. And I, there are things about the musical that I actually like more than the film. I remember reading through the summary of Heather's and like my jaw dropping and being like, this is a comedy? Like, yeah. you're just like drinking drain cleaner and this is a comedy? <laughs> and then and then I realized it was like a viral, kind of a like on the DL viral musical. I'd say everyone under the age of 20 who is remotely interested in musical theater knows about it or has heard it or has watched a bootleg of it. Which and... blows my mind. I'm constantly going to, well, not currently, but I usually go to a lot of high schools to talk about musical theater in, in classrooms. And I can go to a school that has very little arts exposure, very little musical theater to to be actually performed in the school. But there's always some kid who raises their hand and says that Heather's is their favorite musical. I'm like, how did this off-Broadway show that didn't have that long of a run make it all the way here into this middle school? And and yet they've never heard of, you know, Oklahoma. You know, like it blows my mind. It, I mean, that's how I feel about Be More Chill. Like, Right. Yeah, for sure. I, I think truly the reason why Heather's became so big is because the bootleg is everywhere really of the original um off-broadway cast well i when i talked to rachel flynn she said that the cast album may have played quite a big part in that because the cast album came toward the end of their run um and they saw that once it did come out that uh the ticket sales went up but Mm. by that point they had already announced their closing date and so they and people had already taken other projects projects etc so they closed, but it almost seemed to be picking up in popularity once it closed. Yeah. I I see why people are, especially teenagers, people in high school are as obsessed with it as they are. And I, like I said earlier, I think it made, I think it's better than the movie. Mm-hmm. I kind of like you, I think the movie is very nihilistic. You don't really like any of the characters. Even Veronica, who you're supposed to like, is very... I don't know if it's like Winona writer or the direction or the writing, but she's very passive through the whole thing. And she, she doesn't really like do anything until she's forced to do things. And here um, they definitely gave Veronica more agency. Like in the movie after the party where she realizes that um, Heather Chandler is going to make her life hell in the musical, she goes out and seeks JD, which is, hilarious and i'll get to that but um in the movie she just goes home and like scribbles furiously in her diary in her like super large handwriting she has the like the biggest a normal, handwriting 
normal diary size, but it she only writes like four lines per page. So, <laughs> um, and then JD breaks into her window and is like, "Hey, you want to hang out?" And then they have sex on her croquet lawn. Um, but in the musical, she sings "Dead Girl Walking," which is an amazing song. But it's also like it cracks me up so much. And I was telling Cindy about this because. One of her earlier songs is Fight For Me, where she watches JD beat up a bunch of, like, jock bullies. And she's like, wow, like, this guy can really hold his own. Like, I wish I had a guy like that who would fight for me. But in Dead Girl mm-hmm. Walking, she's like, all right, I'm a dead girl walking. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go have sex because I cannot die a virgin. And the other part that cracks me up about this song is, like, he's like, okay, cool, let's go. And they're, like, undressing. They're, like, She's already like straddling him in the staging and um and then he's like, Wait, how'd you find my address? <laughs> like, what a time to be asking this question. <laughs> it it is a really it it is a really great song. Sorry, but I really had to wake you. See, I decided I must ride you till I break you. original Heather's film, I'm not sure anybody idolized those characters in the way that we do with the musical, which I think is a little bit playing with fire. Yeah. Where all of a sudden teenagers are looking for an excuse to be horrible people. Mm -hmm. And that's always kind of been my problem with Heather's is that are we really doing making a commentary on this type of behavior, or are we just creating theater to give us the excuse and kind of wish fulfillment to live out our fantasies of being the worst human being ever? That's totally what I said about B. Marcel. But also, I <laughs> like, yeah, like it's just like an excuse to be like a brooding asshole. Well, do you know what's also interesting is I think that mm, the artistic types who possibly create these types of stories and pieces of art are some of the more bullied, (laughs) you know, whether that's a a gay boy or a musical theater nerd or, you know, whatever it may be, there is a certain degree of outsider that, that I think a lot of people feel that then gets channeled into art. And in the musical, we get freeze your brain, which I think is a great song and gives a lot of, a lot of interesting depth to the character where he is not an expert at dealing with his emotions, which we know are many. Yeah. (laughs) And, and so it's just a matter of, okay, when is the Slurpee going to stop working? And, and that's like ridiculous and hilarious and scary all at the same time. And those moments I think are when Heather's hits a home. You know, in the beginning, I was kind of like, why did Veronica sell out her soul for being part of the heathers i mean it's it's a cliche thing to say but i think it's true when in high school you feel like the stakes are life and death and i mean obviously in this show it actually is 
That's what's so great. I really like the opening number because in the movie, she's just like already part of the Heathers. It's like basically if you just cut the opening number completely, like that's where the movie starts. And And she doesn't seem happy and you don't know why on earth she's a member of this clique. I love that the musical gives her a motivation. And so her sort of seeking them out and being like, just let me sit with you at lunch. It just like gives her so much more to her character. And then once she joins them... And I I remember seeing commentary on Big Fun, the party number. Originally, they had the number as Veronica just walking through the party being like, what the fuck is this? That's what she does in the movie. She, like, is not having fun at the party. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were like, it would be even better if she is having fun. And she realizes how much popularity has gotten her. And then she throws it all away and realizes how much she's losing by not being popular. And I think that was really smart, too. And, like... Just all these things are why I think the musical is better than the movie. It is pretty cool because if you look at the um, libretto, Kevin Murphy and Larry O'Keefe say, don't skimp on orchestra or cast members because this is a teen angst movie and it needs to be loud and angsty. And we created this, the way we wrote the lyrics to this is we say in the lyrics where the characters are. Like in Dead Girl Walking, she says, I'm in your yard. I'm breaking through your window. And um, the reason for that is because they knew, like, this would probably be licensed for high schools and stuff who didn't have a lot of money. Don't spend a lot of money on set. Spend it instead on the sound, the orchestra, the cast members, and the costume specifically. I freaking love that. That's so cool. That's so boss of them. Yeah. They, they really knew their audience, which I think is very smart. Are you guys familiar with the new song, You're Welcome? Yes. Yes. How do you guys feel about the swap? I like both i like both songs a lot so much better i was never a huge fan of blue. like i it's like well-constructed song i'll give it that and i think it 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 works well enough but i think that you're welcome fits the scene a lot better because blue is such a like a comedic number that it makes you feel sorry for the guys even though they're planning on date raping these girls and they make them lovable and it turns it into a like boys will be boys kind of thing which i think is essentially what the creator said also Mm -hmm. yeah when i first listened to blue i could hear the roar of applause uh after at like the button of the song Mm -hmm. even though i was just listening to the cast album and it made me furious because (laughs) Because I could picture the audience totally eating it up. And I'm like, this is why guys get away with rape. Is Mm -hmm. because they can paint it in this lovable, oh, aren't they just the craziest boys ever sort of way. And they get applause. You know? I think it's, it's a smarter decision to go in the in the direction that they did by writing thank you you're welcome (laughs) oh my gosh thank thank you (laughs) i think i mentioned it on this podcast before to cindy there was like one song in some musical where i just felt uncomfortable applauding for it because i was like i want to oh diana diana oh yeah when like in diana there's this like one scene where prince charles just like totally yells at her yeah just like full out shits on her he performed that really well because it's like a very emotional song to perform but it feels weird 
clapping for it. The last line of the song is Prince Charles saying, like, the only thing you ever did well was marry me. <gasps> and then we're like, should we clap? <laughs> oh, that's good. That's a direction problem. Don't make your audience have to decide that. Move on. Create some underscoring. Keep it going. Don't give it a button. You know, like, I shouldn't have to think about that. Yeah. You make my balls so blue. Just look at them glow. They're begging you. Don't make my balls so blue. Heather, Heather, open the door. So much discourse online about a lot of angry teenagers who were just like personally offended that they removed blue from the the recording or from the oh. um from any future licensing. And if you think about it, the show doesn't really make light of any of the actual serious subjects. Like the humor comes from how much the school wants to gain publicity for having a suicide, but it's not about the suicide itself. The killing of people is very still realistic in a way and very dark, whereas mm. Blue, it it's like it leans into incel culture almost. And also, yeah. like one of the interesting things in the West End recording is in um, Big Fun is they changed some of the lyrics. And um, in the original Big Fun, they, they say like, um, so Veronica sings like a hot guy smiled at me without a trace of mockery. And the rest of the ensemble sings everyone's high as a kite ain't nobody home tonight but in the west end recording they change it to veronica's hot tonight and i think that was actually a good change because it it sort of like underlines like more of what popularity has gotten her and also more of the dangers of popularity like she's hot now and that plays into your welcome where they're like oh cool you're hot now so you get the privilege of and this is I'm also stealing from your podcast, Jeff, but they get the privilege now of being able to have sex with the super like popular jocks. Pretty, it's pretty, pretty seething. Because once you were geeky and nerdy, now you're flirty, freaky and dirty. You were nothing and nobody, but now you're good enough to get with me. I do also want to say that um, the Shine a Light to Shine a Light reprise is one of my favorite things because Shine a Light is when they're, um, I don't know what her actual job is. I don't know if she's the guidance counselor, but she's like a total hippie who like has problems yes. of her own. And she's like, <laughs> let's have an assembly. And she sings this whole song about let's shine a light on all our problems. And then Heather McNamara is like very inspired by this number. And she's like, my life is a lifeboat. And if I don't, you know, hold on to the top, then I will get kicked off the lifeboat and I will die. And everyone else is like, wow, what a loser. And so then Heather McNamara tries to commit suicide and <laughs> gets foiled by the childproof caps on the pills, which is also in the movie. <laughs> and um, Veronica stops her. But not before Heather Duke sees her with, like, the rest of the school. And then they sing a reprise of Shine a Light. But instead of Shine a Light, it's Wine All Night. And they're like, all you do is Wine All Night. And you don't deserve to live. 
And I thought that was such good writing where they can take this like what's supposed to be an anthem of being vulnerable and talking about the problems that you've had and exposing them and turn it into a you're just a terrible person because you have problems. That there's like weakness and vulnerability. Yeah. To go Brene Brown with it. Deep inside of everyone, there's a hot ball of shame. Guilt, regret, anxiety, fears we dare not name. But if we show the ugly parts that we hide away, they turn out to be beautiful. I guess these three musicals today, which would you guys say will become the most timeless? Ooh, that's tough. I honestly still think Heather's. Really? Heather's also has the advantage of being set at a specific time so that the, um, the like costuming and all the sort of like oeuvre around it can remain a time capsule but i don't think high schoolers are gonna stop being mean you know there's always gonna be mean people and there's always gonna be people who feel like they can't stand up against the mean people i think my vote will go to mean girls simply because i think mean girls the film is destined to become a classic a modern classic Mm. uh i just i listen to a lot of film podcasts and um I heard people talking about the idea that that Mean Girls could be a candidate for the AFI list, you know, mm. of top 100 American films of all time. So the fact that it has remained in our cultural vernacular this long, I think is a, a pretty good sign for the musical. <laughs> Not to even out the numbers, but I thought Legally Blonde. <laughs> <laughs> Because I guess like I feel like high schools and like cliques and stuff, I agree mean teenagers will always exist. But I do think that like it will be different. And like both Mean Girls and Heathers aren't particularly entrenched in like cyberbullying. And I feel like the core of Legally Blonde is just like the whole idea of how people not only can't believe that a pretty girl is smart, they won't even believe that she's genuinely a nice person. And that's pretty much what the entire show is. And I feel like that's like a pretty timeless sentiment. I agree. I wonder though, in the near future, if the idea of come to the theater and see the poor rich white girl and all of her problems, isn't going to strike the the cultural tone that everybody's craving, at least in, Mm. in my circle uh but boy it's a great musical and surprised me i when i first saw legally blonde i wasn't expecting a lot because maybe it was maybe it was another one of my bitchy moments but um (laughs) but boy was i proven wrong it's a great show i think the other thing about legally blonde though is that assumes that women will always be perceived in a certain way compared to men And I'd like to think, I mean, like, who knows what's going to happen, but I'd like to think that in the future, ideally, how you present yourself and whether or not you're in a sorority and whether or not you care about getting married and stuff like that will not actually necessitate, like, determine how smart 
people think you are. That very well could be wishful thinking, but... Well, yeah, I definitely think that, like, people treat women differently for a long time coming. But also, it is the idea of, like, hot people in general. Like, I think there's a similar stereotype against, like, frat boys. And not only is Elle attractive, she, like, puts in a real effort. Like, she talks about pink all the time. She brought, like... (laughs) an entire mansion's worth of clothes to grad school with her. Like that's her character. And because of that, she's seen as frivolous. AOC did a get ready with me video for like Vogue or something where she uh, basically just did her makeup and talked about stuff. And she was like, I think like how you dress, how you do your makeup is really important. I have a lot of fun doing this in the morning, um, especially in, Washington, where most of the people that I work with are guys, like caring about your appearances, retouching your lipstick is seen as a really like frivolous, girly, stupid thing. But it's not because choosing how you look and like defining your appearance is something that you literally have to do every single day. It's important to your identity and it shouldn't be seen as like something stupid. And I think like that's a big thing with Elle, too, because she's not just rich. She's not just pretty. She makes you know it. She carries a chihuahua with her around. <laughs> but, like, that doesn't mean she's not other things. Well put. Um, well, I realize we kind of missed this in the intro, but, Jeff, do you want to introduce your podcast? Yeah, of course. Uh, my show, A Musical Theater Podcast, is created to have a space where we have discussions about the cultural and emotional impact of musicals and theater history. So every episode, we pick a musical, we talk about its origins, and then most importantly, we really get to the heart of the storytelling to see what it says about us as a society, about us as humans. Um, it, it It's become one of my favorite things in the world to do because I believe that musical theater is is actually legit. <laughs> I know that we always try and sell it as really cool and exciting, you know, to get people to to sell tickets. But I also think this storytelling is incredibly important and reveals so much about who we are. So I love talking to guests like Miss Cindy and Christine, who came on the show, about some of these titles to, to see what's underneath them all and um, why, why they're successful, why they're not successful. And, uh, and, and, and get a deeper connection to, to this art form that we all love so much. That was very profound. Thanks for listening to our episode. If you want to see more about things we've talked about, check our show notes. We'll include links to some of those things. You can follow us at Bottomless B-Way on Instagram or Twitter or email us at bottomlessbway at gmail.com. And thank you again to Jeff who joined us. Jeff, where can people find you? Uh, thank you, ladies, for having me on. It's so much fun. Uh, you can follow my podcast on Twitter and Instagram at a musical podcast. You can also always email me with your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns at a musical podcast at gmail.com. Great. If you want to hear us talk about My Fair Lady, which we've never done on this podcast, on a musical theater podcast where we did an episode talking about My Fair Lady in general, both the revival and the general show we will be back again next month let us know if there's anything you would like to hear about otherwise see you next time bye everybody back in the game, yes. back to the trial.